Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In last week's episode... I began telling the story of the mysterious disappearance of Sharice Walker Bingham, who was shot with her own gun in December 2012 in an Indianapolis state park. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I recommend pausing right now and listening to part one. In that episode, we learned about who Sharice was, the circumstances of her death, the people in her life, and the days and weeks leading up to her death. Now, in part two, it's time for us to discover what happened with that third polygraph test taken by her husband's mistress and the rest of the investigation into her death. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the mysterious death of Sharice Walker Bingham, part two. Finally, the full results of Sharice's autopsy came back and landed on detectives' desks. The results showed that the single gunshot that entered the right side of her chest and killed Sharice was of indeterminate range. This meant that they couldn't determine how far away the gunshot originated from. However, according to an affidavit coming from the desk of an Indiana State Police detective, the autopsy results were inconsistent with the idea that the gun fired accidentally while in Sharice's coverall breast pocket. It was also inconsistent with the idea that the gun fell or dropped and hit the ground and then fired off. These results went against Eugene's two main theories, the first one being that one of Charisse's German shepherds accidentally shot Charisse while jumping on her, and the second one being that Charisse simply dropped the gun. Based on these results, Charisse's manner of death was labeled undetermined. This is because they couldn't rule it a homicide unless the police could show legitimate proof that it was a murder. Although the autopsy results were inconsistent with Sharice's death being an accident, that didn't mean it was 100% certainly a murder. Although police weren't able to find witnesses or surveillance footage of the crime taking place, they were able to piece together a timeline for the night of the shooting. Detectives believed that Sharice left her house around 6.20pm that night. They determined that it takes about 8 minutes to drive from her home on Kessler Boulevard North Drive to North White River Parkway where she parked her car before the walk. And to corroborate this timeline so far, 
was a witness who reported seeing a black female with two dogs in the area around the time Sharice would have been getting out of her car. So this placed Sharice at the park at just before 6.30 p.m. And according to Deborah, Sharice's aunt, a friend of Sharice also happened to see her in the area around 6.30 p.m. that night. Sharice's death certificate listed the time of her injury as 6.39 p.m. However, it is believed that this time is listed as such because this is most likely when that cyclist found her body because first responders were dispatched a minute later at 6.40 p.m. So, it's believed that Sharice was killed almost immediately from when she started walking the trail. And although she was shot almost right away, the Marion County Coroner's Office said Sharice probably lived about 7 to 10 minutes after being shot. If this is true, then this could explain why her cell phone was found flipped open near her body. Like, maybe she was trying to call for help. But police could only speculate that Sharice was trying to call for help because her phone records didn't show any activity in that window of time. To add to this, her phone records didn't even show that much activity in general. However, when police examined Eugene's cell phone records, what they found was interesting. If you can remember from part one, I told you that in his interview with police, Eugene was asked not to delete anything from his phone by police. But when police looked at his phone records, they noticed that Eugene deleted nine calls from December 11th through December 12th, the day Sharice died. One of those calls was from Sharice's chiropractor, who was also friends with Eugene and his girlfriend. So on December 12th at 7.41 p.m., the chiropractor called Eugene because he had heard about a woman's death on the news, and he wanted to make sure it wasn't Sharice. This at first seems like a strange conclusion for this person to jump to, right? Well, apparently, they only called because of a detail that was made known in the news coverage, a mention of two dogs protecting the body of a woman who was shot on White River Trail. However, it is not confirmed that this detail is what made the chiropractor worried for Sharice's well-being. And personally, I still find this act to be strange, especially since this chiropractor had connections with Eugene and his girlfriend. Anyway, when the chiropractor called Eugene, Eugene's phone pinged off a cell tower to receive the call, and this ping didn't hit on the tower closest to his and Sharice's house. If Eugene was really at home like he said, wouldn't it ping off that cell tower closest to their home? Well, it turned out that it actually pinged off a cell tower in the area surrounding Sharice's body. This is a record for police showing that Eugene wasn't where he said he was that night, and that's a big deal, especially since Eugene deleted the record of this call and lied to police about his whereabouts too. I want to make a note that the affidavit explains that there is a scenario in which Eugene's cell phone could have skipped the tower closest to his home and pinged off the tower in the area where Sharice was killed. However, if he was home at that time, like he said, his phone would have only pinged off that tower in Sharice's area, but from the west, which is in the direction his home is in. But that's not what happened. What happened is that his phone pinged in the direction south, off that tower in Sharice's area. This location is where Sharice's body was found. So detectives know for sure that Eugene was lying and the phone records can prove it. In total, Eugene deleted nine calls from his phone. Unfortunately, there isn't much information from police about those other eight calls that were deleted. However, during a discussion about the deleted calls, Eugene mentioned that phone call he made to Sharice when he went out to look for her. If this can be counted among the nine calls deleted from his phone, this leaves many questions. One of them being, since he already told police about this call to Sharice after they notified him about her death, 
why did he feel the need to delete it? Unless he deleted it because it would have shown the true timeline of events and that they didn't correspond with the story he told police. And the timeline Eugene gave police turned out to be way off. The phone records showed police that when Eugene called Sharice from their landline, it was 11.02 p.m. And when he called from his cell, it was 11.09 p.m. If you remember, Eugene originally told police that he started panicking and calling Sharice around 9.30 p.m. that night, after he woke up from dozing off during that basketball game he was watching. When police confronted him about this, he claimed that he was truthful about the timeline and that the phone records must be wrong. And to support this claim, he also said that at 11.09 p.m., he already discovered that his wife was dead, so it must have been incorrect phone records. But that wasn't true either. According to the detective's report, Eugene pulled up to Sharice's car at 11.23 p.m. that night. And if you remember, he told police that he had checked other locations where Sharice may have taken the dogs for the walk. So we'd have to account for that time as well. Based on the most likely route that Eugene would have driven that night, police believed that it would have taken him around 16 minutes to check those other locations before he finally arrived at White River Trail. So theoretically, if he left his house right after making that landline call at 11.02 p.m., he could have checked all those places by 11.23 p.m., but it would have been a really tight window. And if we were to assume that Eugene got out of his car to actually check those locations on foot, this would have taken even more time, meaning he wouldn't have been able to do all of this and make it to Sharice's car by 11.23 p.m. as he did that night. And what's wild is that this isn't all the information that the phone records revealed to police. It also turned out that Eugene and his girlfriend called each other 110 times from December 3rd to December 11th, 2012. During the week leading up to Sharice's death, Eugene called his girlfriend 38 times, and his girlfriend called him 72 times. But they called each other zero times on the day that Sharice was killed. And this fact is what stuck out to police. Clearly, these two called each other a lot. So why would that change on December 12th, the day Eugene's wife was killed? Again, it was all looking very suspicious for Eugene. After the shooting, the calls picked up again with his girlfriend, calling him nine times on December 13th. But then the calls stopped again, from the 14th through January 17th, with only one call that Eugene made to his girlfriend on December 27th during that time frame. Obviously, all of this information was of interest to police, and Eugene and his girlfriend were looking suspicious at this point. But by January, detectives decided they wanted Eugene's girlfriend to take a polygraph test. On February 8, 2013, his girlfriend took the test. Although there isn't much out there about the polygraph test interview, we do know that she was asked these three relevant questions. Number one, did you shoot that woman? Number two, are you the one who shot that woman? Number three, did you participate in the shooting of that woman? His girlfriend answered no to all three questions, and when the results came back, it showed police that Eugene's girlfriend failed the polygraph test. But even though she failed the test, Eugene's girlfriend insisted that she was telling the truth. However, she didn't give detectives any additional information to help with the investigation, so this meant that police had nothing else to hold her on, so she was free to go. The police soon after received a call from her lawyer saying they were representing Eugene's girlfriend, so police couldn't conduct any more interviews with her like they hoped. And even though police were suspicious of Eugene's girlfriend, 
They still couldn't figure out how, if she was involved in some way, like with shooting her, did she get past Charisse's dogs. Those dogs were so protective of Charisse, no stranger could get too close to her. The only person the dogs would allow near her was Eugene. According to detectives, a reliable source told them that Eugene's girlfriend was actually afraid of dogs, so police started to believe that his girlfriend maybe wasn't the one who pulled the trigger that night. Police already knew that Charisse had two life insurance policies, totaling close to $450,000. But after the polygraphs, they found out about a third life insurance policy. And this policy was worth $410,000. That's almost a million dollars combined. Apparently, Charisse got this policy through her job at Pepsi when she started working there in 2012. It's not clear exactly how detectives discovered this third life insurance policy. However, we do know that Eugene wasn't the one to tell him about it. We also don't know when Eugene found out about this policy. It's possible Charisse could have told Eugene about it when she got it, but we don't know for a fact. Detectives notified Minnesota Life on February 23, 2013, that Charisse's death was being investigated as a homicide, and that Eugene Bingham Jr., the named beneficiary of the policy, was a suspect. A couple weeks later, in March 2013, the state police lab conducted ballistics testing on the gun found at the scene, and compared it to the bullet from Charisse's body, and they officially confirmed that Charisse was killed with her own gun. Lab technicians also conducted a trigger pull test. This test helps determine how much force is needed to be applied to the trigger to be fired. They determined that Charisse's gun required 10 pounds of pressure to fire it with a round chamber. This means the heavier the trigger pull weight, the more effort it takes to pull the trigger. And according to investigators, this trigger pull weight is on the heavier side for guns. So basically, they determined that Charisse's gun isn't a gun with a sensitive trigger meaning an accident was highly unlikely. What I found interesting during my research was that Eugene was never tested for gunshot residue. And this is because Indiana State Police don't generally conduct gunshot residue testing because of how unreliable it can be. Also, detectives stated that their lab found no fingerprints on the gun that killed Charisse. This meant no one's fingerprints, not Charisse's or Eugene's or anyone's. It was clean. They also noted that they found no fingerprints on the shell casing found at the scene or on the bullet that was eventually recovered from Charisse's body. Test after test was conducted, and yet Charisse's death was still a mystery to detectives and Charisse's family. While Charisse's family awaited answers, some family members had this feeling that Eugene was definitely involved in Charisse's death. Charisse's aunt Deborah said that the first thing that came to her mind when she found out her niece was shot and killed was Eugene. And apparently, even though Eugene and Charisse were married for a long time, Eugene and Charisse's family weren't that close. According to her family, Eugene wasn't a very social person, and he often spent his time down in the basement, where his man cave was. And although Deborah was suspicious of Eugene, not everyone felt the way she did about him. For instance, Charisse's brother Keith said he initially tried to comfort Eugene after the tragedy before the investigation into Charisse's death began. At first, Keith didn't think Eugene had anything to do with his sister's death. He would even make daily calls to Eugene just to encourage him and let him know that he was praying for him during this difficult time. But all of this changed the moment detectives came to the picture to investigate Charisse's death as a possible homicide. When it comes to Eugene's family, 
It appeared that at some point, maybe Charisse and Eugene's mother were close because Eugene's mother was listed as one of the contingent beneficiaries on the first life insurance policy. But aside from this, it appeared that Eugene's family also knew about Eugene's girlfriend, although it's not clear if they knew the true nature of their relationship. She was even captured in a photo from a family gathering with Eugene's relatives. In June 2013, police received information that strengthened their case against Eugene. It turned out that the lab's analysis of Charisse's clothing turned up defects, like rips or holes or tears, that were made by the bullet. This helped them determine the bullet's trajectory, and it was determined that the defects in the right sleeve and the top two layers of her clothing were consistent with Charisse having her arm out in front of her, as if she was in a defensive position before being shot. This new discovery immediately squashes the suicide theory for investigators once and for all. You would think by now that police have their guy, that an arrest would be made, but you'd be wrong. As the one-year anniversary of Charisse's death came and went, there were still no arrests made. In March 2014, the Marion County Prosecutor's Office brought the case to a grand jury. But everything kind of happened behind the scenes leaving the public in the dark about the progress and status of Charisse's case. That's until the summer of 2014, when the Indiana State Police announced that they finally made an arrest in the shooting case of Charisse Walker Bingham. And the person they arrested was her husband, Eugene. But this isn't where the story ends. On Monday, July 28, 2014, State Police asked Eugene to come to the district station so they could update him about the case. But when he arrived, they served him with an arrest warrant and charged him with one count of murder. And to those who were already suspicious of Eugene from the start, his arrest felt like validation. To them, the authorities finally had answers to what happened to Charisse that winter night. Eugene was sent to the Marion County Jail, but it's not clear how long he stayed there. It is believed that Eugene's sister possibly put up her house as collateral for Eugene's bail and Eugene was eventually released around Labor Day of 2014. It was clear that Eugene's family was supporting him, but it was also clear that Eugene's girlfriend was sticking by his side as well, because detectives found out from Eugene's girlfriend that they started seeing each other quote-unquote exclusively in February 2013, three months after Charisse was killed. In addition, Eugene's girlfriend was actually one of the people who testified for the grand jury, and although grand jury proceedings are secret, Witnesses are allowed to discuss their own testimony, and in an affidavit, it said that her testimony didn't provide any new relevant information. About a month after his arrest, Eugene gave his sister power of attorney so she could handle any financial responsibilities or decisions for him. He also hired a lawyer and began to prepare for his trial. However, a murder charge wasn't the only legal battle Eugene had to face at the time. You see, Keith petitioned the court and became administrator of Charisse's estate. Once his request was granted, he immediately filed a civil wrongful death lawsuit against Eugene. Obviously, Keith wanted to keep that insurance money out of Eugene's hands, which is completely understandable. I think anyone would do this, especially since no one is certain what could happen in the criminal trial. If convicted, obviously, Eugene wouldn't receive the money, but you just never know how these criminal cases will turn out, so Keith wanted to be on the safe side in case Eugene wasn't convicted of the crime. During the trial, there didn't seem to be a specific theory for what happened the night of Charisse's death. Charisse's family said that there was no history of domestic violence that they were made aware of before her death. 
And according to police, there were no records of domestic violence between Charisse and Eugene. And Eugene didn't even have a prior criminal record. And even though we know that domestic violence is an underreported crime, the people closest to Charisse didn't believe that she was being physically abused by Eugene. For the time being, the civil lawsuit was placed on hold until a verdict was reached in the criminal case. But one month before the trial was set to begin, Charisse's family received heartbreaking news about the case. They were informed that the state of Indiana was dropping the charges against Eugene. The court granted a motion from prosecutors to dismiss the murder charge on August 10, 2015. According to the deputy prosecuting attorney, the state couldn't proceed with the case due to a lack of physical or corroborating evidence. However, the motion also stated that the prosecutor's office would refile the charge if they could get additional evidence against Eugene. Now, remember how the cell tower data showed that Eugene's phone pinged off a tower near Charisse's body when her chiropractor called Eugene that night? Well, because of how calls are routed, specifically when they go to voicemail, Sprint couldn't confirm the exact location of Eugene's phone. This meant that Sprint couldn't say that for sure he was in the park or wasn't in the park, which meant that they wouldn't testify to their own cell tower data in court. But this wasn't the only issue because the truth was that the case against Eugene was always circumstantial. After all, there were no eyewitness statements, no DNA evidence, no confession from Eugene. The truth was that the prosecutor's office was hinging their case against Eugene mostly on that cell tower data, in addition to other circumstances in the case, but once that cell tower data went out the door, so did their case. For prosecutors, the decision to drop the case was a strategic one, because if Eugene was brought to trial and acquitted, Eugene could never be charged for the same crime again. They didn't want to risk this happening. By dismissing the charge without prejudice, the door is still open to charge Eugene if the case could be made stronger with additional evidence. But understandably, this didn't bring much comfort for Charisse's family for many reasons. But a major concern was Charisse's life insurance policies. What would happen in the civil lawsuit? What about Charisse's life insurance money? With no murder charge hanging over his head, Eugene filed a petition to collect Charisse's life insurance but there was still that wrongful death suit. In the civil case, Eugene admitted that Charisse died of a gunshot wound, but he denied that it was a homicide. And because Charisse's cause of death was officially labeled as undetermined, despite police often referring to Charisse's case as a homicide even after the criminal case was dropped, it's kind of confusing if her case was ever actually declared a homicide. During the summer of 2016, Everyone was ready for the wrongful death trial, but after a mediation session in the fall of 2016, Keith agreed to settle the case with Eugene. Because most of the terms of the settlement are confidential, we don't know what specific reasons led to Keith's decision, but we do know that the estate got $75,000 and that the estate can't sue Eugene for wrongful death ever again. With no legal barriers, Eugene collected the life insurance money minus the money that went to Charisse's estates and lawyers and one of the first things he did with that money was get his arrest record expunged. And because of that expungement and the fact that Charisse's case is still open, there are almost no records available to the public about what has been filed in the case. And that's not all he does with the money. As if to pour salt in Charisse's family wounds, that spring of 2015, Eugene and his girlfriend got married. They also bought a house for nearly half a million dollars, Eugene also paid off the mortgages that he and Charisse had on their own house and their rental duplex, and 
and he apparently sold the duplex but still owns the home on Kessler Boulevard North Drive. And I feel so much for Sharice's family. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is to lose your loved one in such a violent way, how agonizing it must be to wait for answers in her case just to not receive justice, and then go through a wrongful death suit, and then watch the man you believed murdered your loved one go on and live a better life with his mistress. Charisse's family hasn't had contact with Eugene for years, and it's unknown what happened to Charisse's dogs Mayday and Tsunami after they were kept for evidence. But we do know that at the time of Charisse's death, the dogs were 8 and 4 years old, and the average lifespan for a German Shepherd is around 11 to 13. So, 9 years later, it seems likely that these protective and loving dogs that once fiercely guarded Charisse are no longer living. The police still believe that the right person was charged with Sharice's murder, but, of course, it all comes down to what can be proven in court. And unfortunately, many of those unanswered questions can only be answered by Eugene, and maybe even his new wife. But obviously, they aren't talking about what happened that night. Sharice's loved ones try their hardest to keep Sharice's memory alive and keep her story in the public eye. Keith even holds an annual vigil right on the trail where she was shot. Indiana State Police truly believe that someone out there has vital information that could help them bring justice to Sharice and her family. Anyone with information should contact Crime Stoppers at 317-262-TIPS or contact Indiana State Police. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast please follow and share the podcast. It will help bring much-needed attention to these important cases. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at the LCL Pod and on Instagram at the Lost Crimes Library Pod. See you next week with a new episode. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program.